Well, as Russ said this morning, I think we can safely say that summer is here. Um, Now, with that, as a church, we can be uh, aware of a couple of things. First of all, that probably means some of us are going to be doing some traveling. And that means from Sunday to Sunday, there are going to be a few of us missing from time to time. And so let me encourage you uh, to make sure that you are praying for one another for the safety of, uh, of those who are going back and forth and traveling at this time of year. Uh, let me encourage you in all the busyness of the summer, again, to try and find at least two times a week where you can find yourself in church, maybe Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school and Sunday morning, or maybe Sunday morning and Sunday night, or maybe even Sunday night and Wednesday night, but just try and maybe uh, stay focused. Uh, summer can get busy uh, and very much take our focus off the Lord, and, and for a lot of people, uh, I have shared testimony with me that it was the summertime that really uh, was when uh, they fell off their faith or drifted away from their faith. Uh, and so let me encourage you with that. And again, uh, try to make it here Tuesday night. Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, come and enjoy some special music um, uh, so that we can uh, uh, just enjoy it together and enjoy music that honors the Lord together. All right, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for the opportunity to gather together and lord again we ask that you would meet with us but by the power of your spirit lord we would be changed and we pray father that we be drawn to you we would be shaped by the message of the gospel and the shape we would come into is becoming more like your son jesus christ and i pray for your help for me that i would speak clearly and effectively this morning to your glory and we pray this in jesus name amen So I want to start this morning by asking a question. Have you ever had to call customer service? You ever bought something at the store and brought it home and maybe found some extra pieces or found pieces that aren't, that don't go together like they're supposed to. And, and so you had to make a phone call. What has been your experience with customer service? I bet you are not going to be surprised by hearing this, but did you know that consistently, consistently the United States government is listed as number one in the worst customer service? For example, the IRS, more than 30% of the phone calls to the IRS go completely unanswered. And their mark every year, their goal, this is their goal, is to answer the phone at least 75% of the time. That's bad customer service. But there are other companies that aren't much better. Years ago, my wife and I were on our honeymoon. We were down in the Caribbean. And for some reason or another, we didn't know at the time, we suddenly found that the bank account that we put all the money we had saved to go on this wonderful honeymoon was suddenly gone. And so here we are in the middle of the Caribbean trying to get a hold of a local bank, trying to figure out what was going on. And finally, I got a hold of somebody and they explained what the problem was. And so I asked what would be, I thought, a very normal question. So can you help us? He knew our story. We're in the middle of the Caribbean. There wasn't really anything I could do from where we were. And he responded, Mr. Lysinga, even if you had a million dollars in this account, I couldn't help you. So you know what I had to do? Here I am, a married man, on my honeymoon, and I had to call my mom. (laughs) Explain the situation. She went down to our local bank, and she put enough money in there so we could finish our good time, and we could make it home. 
You can imagine, though, when I got back to my hometown, I was pretty upset. And I walked into that bank pretty upset. And you know how much more aggravated I got when 20 minutes later the problem was solved? Bad customer service. People who were of no help. Psalm 38, if you note, comes with a title, the Psalm of Remembrance. Now, in this case, the idea is not that these are things we need to remember. These are things we want God to remember. In the Bible, when we say we want God to remember something, the idea is we want him to act on our behalf. The idea is that we are asking him to help us. We go back to the book of Exodus. The children of Israel cry out, and the Bible says, and God remembered them. It's not as if he forgot where he had left them. It is the idea that they cried out, and God was moved to help. So that was what this psalm is about. This is, what this is written for. David writes it for those who need to ask God for help. And what we have here is really a threefold idea or three kind of prayers for help from God. And I want to share these three prayers that are found in this psalm. The first one would be this. The first prayer is essentially, Lord, I cannot carry the consequence of my own sin. Lord, I cannot carry the consequence of my own sin. In verse 1, we see him pray twice and ask God to lighten his discipline for sin. Now, if you read the whole psalm as we did, it's clear that the writer understands that he has sinned. He has a very particular sin in mind, although he doesn't tell us what it is. But the bigger picture here is he's saying to God, the discipline you have brought into my life for having sinned is too much. Look at the descriptions here. He describes God's discipline as being shocked, as being crushed, as being sick, as having insomnia, of the being drowned in the ocean, having open, itchy sores. And in verse 5, he acknowledges, he says, I know that all of this is happening to me because of my own foolishness. But he goes even further in the description of God's discipline. He says, it's like being crippled. It's like being depressed. In a bit of a, a very uh, a gross picture, he kind of he uses terms here to describe something like we would call the stomach flu. As one who is purging bodily fluids. And in verse 8, he says essentially that all of God's discipline in his life has left him broken. Now, there is some debate here. There's some debate between whether or not the author is actually talking about real physical realities, like as in he sinned and God was really physically punishing him. Or if the writer is speaking more metaphorically, that this is a kind of mental anguish, that the guilt of his sin is causing him to kind of even despair of life. Now, we have both ideas in the Bible, but that's really not the point here. The point that the psalmist is making to God, the plea he's making to God is, I cannot bear this consequence. He is saying that uh, uh, literally, Lord, I need you to lighten up. 
He's, uh, he's recognizing, you know what, Lord, there isn't enough good deeds for me to do to feel better about myself. He's saying, Lord, there, there are not enough ways for me to punish myself in order to feel better. If you do not lighten the load, literally the idea there is he says, my heart is going to stop and my eyes are going to close and I am going to die. I will be destroyed. Of course, we see this theme in other places of the Bible that that if the Lord did not have mercy, we would be crushed under the weight of our sin. Isaiah cried out at his commission. He said, Lord, I can't do this. I'm a sinner. And I I hang around with sinners and and God had to cleanse him. Or you go to the story of Hosea and his wife as she goes away and commits adultery after adultery. And she is brought back again and again. And God says, that's a picture of me with my children. But then we get to the New Testament. And we see that there is even more foolishness in trying to pay for our own sins because God has already paid for them in the person of Jesus Christ. But overall, the idea is, if it was not for the Lord's mercy, we would be consumed. Now, here's the truth. Some of us Christians are miserable. And some of us are miserable because we think we have to bear the consequences of our own sin. Now, there's a couple of ways it will work this way out in our lives. For some of us, the fear of having to pay the penalty for our own sin causes us to be driven by the idea that we can't be wrong. It's not the idea that we can't be wrong about where to eat or we can't be wrong about how to drive. The idea is... If we're ever wrong, then it all falls apart. That everything is going to come crashing down. If we ever fail, if we ever sin, it's all going to fall apart. And so we walk around miserable thinking, if I mess up, it's all going to come crashing down on me. But some of us are miserable because we walk around thinking because we failed. Because we know we have sinned, because we have failed and maybe the way we spoke to somebody recently or made a decision we should not have made or went and looked at something we should not have looked at, we think to ourselves, I'll never again be a good parent. Oh, I'll never again be able to have any sort of close friendships. And the fact that maybe you still struggle in your head with certain thoughts, you think to yourself, that means I must never ever be acceptable But the Bible's been very clear that you can never bear the burden, the consequence of your own sin. The punishment for sin is far more serious than anything you could do to yourself, including self-harm. But the answer is not in denying the fact that you sin. James says if we do that, then the truth is not in us. The answer is is not only confessing your sins, but confessing that you cannot bear the weight of that sin. You cannot just get past it. You cannot just get over it. It's not just that you'll promise never to do it again. What you need is for the Lord to remove that burden. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will cleanse us. The Bible says it is very clear that the blood of Christ is enough and not an ounce of our blood needs to be spilt. That the answer to our failings is not the blood of Christ and beating ourselves up. 
The answer is not the blood of Christ and never doing that wrong thing again. The answer is the blood of Christ. The only person who can deal with the burden of your sin is God, and he has done so through the person of Jesus Christ. So you confess your sins, confess to God that you cannot bear the consequence of your sins, and thank him for sending Jesus to bear them for you. So, Lord, I cannot bear the consequences of my own sin. I need your help. The second prayer we find in this psalm is this, Lord, I cannot do battle with the troubles of life alone. Lord, I cannot do battle with the troubles of life alone. In verse 9, the author sets the context. He says, I live before a God who sees everything. Now, for the author, that doesn't mean there's no need to pray. What that means is he has a ground, a place in which he can reason with God. Both him and God are seeing the same thing. And so he says, first of all, Lord, you see my desire. The idea there is the author saying, look, I know that I've sinned, but this sin does not reflect the general condition of my heart. We see the idea in 1 John. He says, the way that you know you belong to God is not that you never sin. The way that you know you belong to God is the condition of your heart. Do you desire to obey him? Do you desire to love your neighbor? James is very clear, and John is very clear, it's not about being sinless. So the writer's appealing here, Lord, you see that for all of the most part of my life, I desire to do the right thing. But again, the author says, I'm clearly running out of time. If God, if you do not change my situation, everything's going to collapse. In fact, in verses 11 and 12, he tells us what his situation is. is. The idea is this, the writer has sinned. God has disciplined him in some way. And in response, those he counted his friends, those he counted his loved ones, are starting to pull away from him. And those who were counted his enemies are are beginning to sharpen their knives. Oh, look, big shot's falling down. We'll get warnings about this in the later prophets. God will punish nations who saw how God was disciplining Israel, and they looked at it and they never came to Israel's aid. God will punish nations for failing to help. We also see in the prophets that God is going to punish nations who saw Israel's failing and saw God disciplining them and said, you know what, the walls are down, the markets are open, let's go take their stuff. Let's go capture their women and children. God will punish them for taking advantage. Then notice with me in verse 15 and 16, he declares this, my hope is in the Lord. More specifically, he says, my hope is that God will hear me when I cry. Because if God does nothing, his enemies will rejoice and his downfall will come and they will magnify themselves. Lord, you need to help in this time of trouble. I was telling somebody this week, you know, it's rare that we experience things one at a time. For most of us, we lose our job, we get the flu, and then we have a fight with our spouse all on the same day. For most of us, we have a bad day with our kids while suddenly getting a backache and having to go to work and have to deal with some stupid co-worker's stupid mistake. 
We never experience things in line, one at a time. Our troubles never take a ticket and come in order, do they? So here we have a man who is both overcome with feelings of guilt because he knows he's sinned. We have a man who's wanting to do the right thing. But we also have a man who is dealing with injustices that are happening to him. He's feeling the attack of every spiritual enemy, his flesh and his sinfulness. He's hearing the attack of the world as they abandon him in his time of trouble. He feels the attack of the devil as he tries to trip him up again and again, trying to get him to fail. It's too much. Now, what do most of us do in these times? When things, when troubles get a little too much for us, when there's just a little too much going on in our lives, what do some of us do? Some of us. Some of us think the answer is we got to be stronger got to double our efforts we got to we got to buck it up buttercup we got to get that extra stuff in we got to get that extra service in. maybe if i just go to another bible study maybe if we figure out this new ministry to do maybe if i just try a little harder now others of us when trouble overwhelms us when there's too much some of us just think well what we need to do is we need to shrink back and so we start cutting this out and we'll cut this out maybe if i do this a little less Maybe, maybe if I just take these things on my life, it won't be so overwhelming. Let me, let me tell you something. If you try to answer the troubles of life by trying to be busier, it's not going to deal with your troubles and you're simply just going to be more tired. If you try to deal with the troubles of your life by cutting things out, all you're going to do is increase your sorrow because everything else is going to be gone and all your troubles are going to be left. The answer to your troubles is asking for help from the God who sees those troubles. I want you to note that the author here says, God, look at specific things. So maybe there's a a trouble in your life with a person, and you can go to God and say, God, you know that person as much as I know that person. You've seen what that person has done as much as I've seen what that person's done. He is the God who sees, and God, I need your help. Just like we have to turn to God's provided solution in Christ to carry or take care of our sins, we must go to the one who has the source of strength that is always greater than our troubles. We have to go to the God who sees and say, Father, Lord, I cannot bear this alone. And whether this ends in life or death, the only hope I have is your strength to face this trouble. Lord, I need your help. But that brings us to the third prayer. The third prayer we find in the psalm is this, Lord, I cannot do good without your protection. Lord, I cannot do good without your protection. The key verse in this last section is verse 20. The writer describes his adversaries as those who render evil for good. He goes on to further explain they are his adversaries because he does what is good. Think of it this way. All of us have probably experienced this at one time or another. Growing up, we have a group of friends. Some of those friends maybe start getting in trouble. But these are people that maybe you you love. People that maybe you played a sports uh, played sports with, maybe you, you these are people you've sat around and planned your future with. Maybe you've always gone to the same school together, but you watch as some of them begin to make 
poor or bad or sinful choices, and you don't want to go with them. Most of us have probably come to a place where we had to decide what to do. We don't want the relationships to end, but yet our conscience is beginning to bother us. We understand that if we we go towards what is good, some of those friends that we love dearly are going to drift away. But even more so, some of those friends that we love dearly might even become enemies. And that's the attitude of this psalm. The, the, The very fact that the writer was willing to repent, the very fact that he would turn from evil to be sorry for his sin in verse 18 is what is driving the action of his enemies. If he had simply been willing to go along, these things would not be happening. Understand that repentance is the cause of this conflict. The writer's saying, I did the wrong thing, I want to do the right thing, but doing the right thing is causing all sorts of grief in my life from other people. Or you can think about it this way. Most of us understand, as adults, if somebody wrongs us in a way, we understand that if they ask for forgiveness, we're supposed to forgive. We understand that we should show them goodwill. Most of us in our lives have experienced that if we do something good for somebody, more often than not, they'll respond with doing good things for us. But it's very hard and very perplexing when we do good and the response we get is hostility. When we do good and the response we get is aggression. When we do good and the response we get is hate. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter addresses this. He says, in most cases, if you go out and do good in the world, the world will respond with a cheer. People will slap you on the back, say, hey, good job. But in every culture, in every society, in every neighborhood, in every place, in every people, there are good works that will stir up opposition. And that's what the writer's experiencing. These people are not his enemy because of his sin. These people are his enemy because he wants to do right things by God. And the only hope he has in, in being able to do those good things, and the only hope he has in that he will not fail to do good things, is the Lord's protection. Now, it's no secret that the American church at large is feeling this pressure. You know, it's okay to admit that the American church has not been perfect. It's okay to admit that the American church has some very grievous sins in our past. But there are also very, very many who both acknowledge that sin but still want to do the right thing. And in many cases, the pressure is coming because doing the right thing or doing good works will now be the source of opposition. For example, if we encourage in our church a young lady to be a young lady, to remain pure, to have hold high standards for men, to learn as much as she can, to figure out how to work with her hands, we're going to be slandered as being chauvinistic and anti-female. If we tell a young man to be a young man, to learn to work hard, to learn as much as he can, to lead where he can, to respect women, and we are going to be, it's going to be claimed that we here at this church encourage toxic masculinity. For some of you who've been around for a few minutes, it's perplexing that there would be hostility in encouraging a girl to be a girl. It's perplexing that we would encourage boys to embrace masculinity. 
The world tells us we're doing something wrong. But the mistake we're making, that many, many churches are making, is trying to respond to this with our own strength, our own bravado, with our own resources. As if shouting over social media or having pithy statements is going to be how we should respond to this. Let us acknowledge that we have brothers and sisters who are struggling. They don't want to be hated. All of us has inside of us a desire to fit in. We want to be liked. And some of us are very much willing to figure out how to protect what we have by going with the flow. Look at this psalm. This is not a new phenomenon. This is not the sign of the end times. It's what has always been happening. The people of God who seek to do good will eventually stir up hate for themselves by their good works. We don't have to provoke it. We don't have to go looking for it. It it isn't every slight we feel. It comes because God's law is good and men are evil. So if we are going to keep doing good works... If we're going to keep doing wild game feeds and Awana and Easter services, what we need is what is prayed for in this text. We need the Lord's protection. We always have. Missionaries have been trying to tell us this for years. I think of one story a missionary told about how in China they started a coffee shop and a bookstore. And hidden among those books were little Bibles and Christian literature in Chinese. And every day when they open their coffee shop, they pray for the Lord's protection over their good work. The big picture here is clearly we need the Lord's help. We cannot bear the burden of the consequences of our own sin, and so we need to go to God, who has taken care of those things through his Son, Jesus Christ. We do not have the strength to deal with the various troubles of life alone. Unless the Lord sustain our hearts, we would close our eyes in death in one way or another. And we cannot keep doing good without the Lord's protection. This was as true, it is as true today as it was 40 or 50 years ago when we think the culture was less hostile. The good work that God's people want to do needs the Lord's protection. So no matter what, what kind of help you need today, whether it's the burden of sin, the trouble of the season, the protection to do good, ask the Lord to remember. Call upon the Lord for help. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, we do come to you and acknowledge we cannot bear the consequence of our sin We seek your mercy. Father, we cannot deal with the troubles of life alone, so we seek your provided strength, your presence. And Lord, we know that as we seek to do good in this life, it will stir up strife against us. And so we ask for your protection. Lord, we are a people who need your help. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.